This is Arab Talk on KPOO San Francisco, 89.5 FM. This is Arab Talk with Justin Jamal. I'm Jessan Nam. And this is Jamal Dejani. Well, Jamal, we have a great show. We have a lot to cover. First of all, our you know, we're thinking and, and praying for our, our friends, all the people that listen and watch uh, Arab Talk on the East Coast. That's right. In North Carolina, South Carolina, Georgia, and throughout, uh, it's going to be a huge storm. We're really concerned about our communities that are there. We hope everybody is safe, but the next 48 hours are going to be really tough. So to all our listeners there, stay safe. Stay dry. I think you need to leave. You need to leave the coastal area. Uh, You need to heed to the instructions given by your local authorities because this seems to be... Uh, it's going to be coming hard. We we hope everybody's safe and and, and uh, but we're going to be talking about things today having to do with a very tragic and unfortunate anniversary. Jamal, we're we're standing after 25 years of what many consider the third catastrophe for the Palestinians. The first one was 1948, the Nakba. The second one, 1967, the Nexa. And the next one are the Oslo agreements in 1993, which you and I have been talking about for about 25 years, but a catastrophe nonetheless for Palestinians. That's right. So for uh, those who have joined us late today, or actually September 13th. Yes. And uh, on September 13th, 1993, Israel and the Palestinian Liberation Organization signed the Oslo Accords on the lawn of the White House. And 25 years have passed, Jess. What do we have to show for it, Jamal? Nothing. No, we and have a lot to show. Well, it's... But it's a lot of destruction. A lot of destruction. A lot of theft. And we're nowhere... We're further away from any kind of resolution or just a solution for Palestine... 25 years on than we were back then. So looking back at some headlines, for example, from yes. 25 years ago from the uh, New York Times, if you looked at the <laughs> New York Times headline, <laughs> the headline said, uh, a day of glory. This is how they described, you know, and uh, the signing of the accords. And the Washington Post's lead story was headlined, ritual end to decades of conflict. So I'm trying to look at all these different headlines when the people, uh, when the world was euphoric about this uh, uh, agreement, uh, you know, which at the time, uh, basically, it was a declaration of principles on interim self-government arrangements. And, uh, of course, I recall the late Edward Said. And I was this is, just going to say this that. This is very important. I was just going to say that. Uh, and he immediately, and, and, and he was shunned by the PLO and supporters of the Oslo Accords, and he described Oslo as an instrument of Palestinian surrender. Wow. These were the words of Edward Said 25 years ago. An instrument of Palestinian surrender. Uh, he was so prophetic, Jamal. He, and he was so prophetic. And I'm just gonna quote the opposite to this, <laughs> which is you know, and the opposite to this, and this came by the Israeli novelist Amos 
Oz. Yeah. I mean, this is Edward Said t- spoke of a Palestinian surrender. Amos Oz said this was the second biggest victory in the history of Zionism. It's, I think it's probably the, the greatest. I don't know. The first one is the colonization, obviously, of, of historic Palestine. So this, But they're essentially saying the same thing. Amos Oz and Edward Said are saying the same thing, that this fiction of principles of understanding for self-governance for Palestinians was nothing more than an opportunity for, for the state of Israel to colonize more land, to build more settlements, and to create more occupation pressure on Palestinians for the last 25 years, and to foreclose, Jamal, let's not forget, foreclose the right of return. Yeah, That's really what, what was well, at the heart well, of it. Well, let's revisit it, and that's why, I mean, Edward Said actually, when and he spoke in, in, in private, he was stunned at the amount and uh, of ignorance of the people who went to the negotiation table. Yes, sir, Arafat and his and, uh, group. And, yeah, uh, they were completely and, Well, ignorant. actually, it was more represented by the Abu Mazen. current uh, Palestinian president, Mahmoud Abbas, Abu Mazen. And he specifically, I remember him talking about it, the last of which, when he came, and this was his probably last speech, I think, at UC Berkeley. Right. Uh, just, uh, I think, a year before he passed away. That's right. I remember that. And he talked about his experience, and he talked about how they did not have a single legal expert to go over the paperwork, to go over the fine print. And basically, those who represented the Palestinians uh, who went to Oslo, they were signing without reading anything anything ab- about the fine print. And so revisiting these negotiations, and uh, and if you look at, at the Oslo Agreement, you know, now, and basically what the Oslo Agreement did at the time was merely require Israel to recognize the PLO as the representative of the Palestinian people. That's it. So they've taken that that uh, leadership role actually from Jordan because uh, up till up till that time Jordan was representing the West Bank. Right. You know, this is the 1967 war or the 6-day war when it happened Jordan uh, the West Bank was part of Jordan and Gaza was part of uh, Egypt. And so basically, the agreement merely required Israel to recognize the PLO as the representative of the Palestinian people and pull back troops from parts of the occupied territories that Israel was happy, by the way, at the time to cede. Oh, very happy. Soon to be to the foreign Palestinian security because they did not want to manage a place like Gaza. They did, they did not want to manage a place like Nablus where no. they faced the most resistance. They didn't want the responsibility. And they wanted a police force to protect basically the Israelis and the settlers there. So, so, so they've asked the Palestinian now, before it was formed, the PLO, to form the Palestinian Authority. This came later on. To manage the civil affairs in basically the densely populated Palestinian cities that Israel had no interest in keeping, and it was to them a major headache. This is how they looked at it. But it was a major victory for the Israelis, Jamal, because, as you said, it took the responsibility, the legal moral responsibility of the Israelis as an occupying power to— you know, basically take care of the situation. It completely gave them off the hook, and they were able to 
if you will, subcontract the security services. I mean, they had the Palestinians and the PL and the PA basically subcontracting for them. Yeah, I mean, I mean, they started with the Jericho Gaza first. That was right. the Jericho Gaza first, and and uh, they they they've chosen Gaza because it was the most populated, the most right. problematic, and Jericho was the easiest to manage right. in the West Bank. It was a testing ground, but if you look at the negotiations, uh, Jerusalem, right, refugees. Settlements, right of return, security arrangements, right borders, relations, and 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 cooperation with the neighbors, right. These were all left to be negotiated. To a five-year <laughs> transitional period. So they were off the table. The issue of Jerusalem, they, they from the beginning, and and now everyone is surprised. Oh. Donald Trump recognizes Jerusalem as the capital of Israel, and Israel, from day one, has been uh, populating Jerusalem with the uh, with the colonial settlers. But this was deliberately kept off the any kind of uh, negotiations, and it was not even part of the agreement. So all these things, all the important things, the negotiations that 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 basically this is the crux of the situation now. Why people are up in arms and surprised and, and, and the issue over Jerusalem, Jerusalem was kept out of the agreement. Well, what did Donald Trump do? Donald Trump basically signed off on transferring Jerusalem and considering it part of the state of Israel. That's right. The second aspect, the right of return, that was also off uh, the table. So what did Donald Trump do now? Defund UNRWA. And his next step, and this is what they have plans for, they basically want to drop the whole concept that there are Palestinian refugees. Yeah, the, he wants to get rid of the refugee that concept. All the refugees. But let's, let's be fair. Let's be fair about the stupidity of Oslo. Absolutely. So Jerusalem was left out. The refugee discussion over the refugees and the right of return was left out. And most importantly, the settlements, which has been uh, which have been spreading like cancer all over the, the West Bank, also the settlements issue was not part of the initial discussion of the Oslo agreement, but, leaving Israel, but giving even, Israel the, the carte blanche well, to expand its settlement movement. But let's just... Let's just be real, Jamal. As a result of Oslo, the settlements grew. I mean, we got to the table in 1993 under the false pretense um, around the branding, and I'm going to come back to that in a minute, that this was an opportunity to solve the decades-old problem of the question of Palestine. It, Because the Palestinians and Abu Mazen were not good at reading the details, it really was a opportunity for Israel to, because at the time, less than 80,000 settlers. Right now, over 600,000 settlers. Uh, actually, the number is more like 800,000 plus settlers, and the goal is a million. Is a million. So because of Oslo, Jamal, we have created the what the Israelis like to call the facts on the ground. We went from 80,000 to over 600,000 illegal colonial settlers in the West Bank. It has been an unmitigated disaster. But I want to remind you of something. This was 
not only the second greatest achievement of Zionism, this was a crowning achievement of the Israeli Hasbara. And that was working very closely with Bill Clinton mm -hmm. and the American media branding that this was going to be a major accomplishment uh, for, Middle, quote, Middle East peace. What a complete disaster uh, in terms of the, and again, I'm, I'm saying we have to take responsibility. The Palestinians have to take responsibility. One story that is uh, that, that uh, Edward Said was very fond of telling, and I think you know this, the Israeli negotiators had, you know, hundreds of binders of information, maps, data that they were pouring over on a regular basis. The Palestinian delegation, nothing. No maps. They allowed the Israeli negotiators to bring the maps that were ultimately used to decide areas A, B, and C. The Palestinians, Jamal, didn't even bring their own data, their own maps. What an unmitigated disaster. Well, again, a reminder to our listeners, this is what the late Edward Said said. He's Rest the most soul. articulate champion of the Palestinian cause. And this is what he said immediately after Oslo. And he described it as an instrument of Palestinian surrender. But uh, furthermore, he actually predicted many things. What he did predicted he predict? everything that pretty much happened since. And this is, uh, this, he said this both in writing and in some of his interviews. And so in 1993, this is back, taking you back uh, immediately to just maybe weeks after Oslo and, and, and during and even before, he said that the PLO would become Israel's enforcer, an unhappy prospect <laughs> for most, most Palestinians. These, right. word, were, these are the words of Edward Said, and this is exactly what has happened. 100%. The Palestinian Authority set up after Oslo as the supposedly interim government or the inter interim self-governing body for Palestinians, it's largely basically the, the all security it does force is, for Israel. Is, is enforces the security That's on behalf of the Israelis and 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 makes sure that the settlements are not attacked by Palestinians. Its other role is to prevent infiltration into. Israel basically prevent people from going over the fence and the apartheid wall. But they use the Palestinian security uh, services also to surveil Palestinians in the West Bank and Gaza at the time, Jamal. I mean, we cannot really emphasize enough how disastrous uh, this turned out to be for, for Palestinians. And But I want to take you back those 25 years, the euphoria, the delusional euphoria that was created in the American press and even unfortunately among Palestinian communities and even among other world leaders in the Middle East at the time, everybody was so excited about that. They did, and this is what the Israeli Hasbara is really great about, Jamal. They can brand anything to their advantage and they, have, they branded the Oslo Agreement and they knew at the time, and you know this, they knew at the time that the tide was turning because of the first intifada, what had happened with Palestinian um, you know, feelings of self-determination, what was happening on the ground. And Rabin, I think, probably saw the writing on the wall 
And they had to figure out something in order to reestablish their Zionist dream of control, because that's really what an occupying power does, is control uh, land and people. That's what Oslo was about, Jamal. It is. And, 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 and sadly and accurately, Edward Said's warning about Oslo appears today to be so true, so true, so accurate. And uh, this is another quotation from <laughs> his writings for the Palestinians to throw themselves on the tender mercies of the United States. This is the other, <laughs> and this will move. He wrote, is almost certainly to suffer the fate the U.S. has meted out to rebellious or between courts, terrorist people it has had to deal with in the third world after they have promised not to resist the United States anymore. Absolutely. So this is another thing he had written about uh, how the United States would, would react. So, so now moving on after this to the so-called deal of the century. Can we, can we just before we go to the, <laughs> the, the Trump-Kushner deal of the century, Jamal, because I really want our listeners to understand the historical trajectory of where we're at today because, you know, it's important to understand that the emergence of Oslo was occurring at a time of peak Palestinian senses of identity which, you know, we remember the Intifada, the first Intifada when it came out, was a source of pride, was a source of inspiration for Palestinians all over, you know, the West Bank and including Gaza. There was a sense of, um, of a, a camaraderie and uh, solidarity among Palestinians with people across the world and colonized people all over the world. I mean, it was really an amazing time. And... As I said, I mean, clearly the Israelis and the Americans were very distraught that Palestinians could wake up someday and see that they should not fall under the control and yoke, if you will, of Israeli colonizing practices. So they started to resist colonization. And th this was, you know, instead of uh, what Rabin did, Jamal, instead of continue to break the arms and the legs of Palestinians during the Intifada, he had, he used instead breaking their minds under this false. Well, because fault. because revisiting this, because uh, this is exactly what Rabin did, and this is uh, the man who everyone describes as as the man of peace, and he's he was a, brutal. He, he was very brutal. And he gave orders to, to break, the, the yeah. soldiers to break the arms and elbows of those who threw stones, of the children. children who threw stones. Uh, this is the, uh, the time when Israel was shooting uh, using uh, rubber-coated bullets, which we know are actually in many cases more bullets. damaging yes. uh, to uh, when they are lodged in the demonstrators' uh, skulls. And, and so... With all that work and all that brutality, they were not able to succeed. So in order to circumvent this... They had Oslo. Uh, they've had Oslo, and it was his plan to basically use Palestinians to control each other. Exactly. Because the Israeli occupation has failed from putting down or, or you know... Uh, putting off the fire of that rebellion, as he described it. And this is why they've created this illusion, smokes, 
smoke and mirrors. Exactly. And giving the people the sense of security. The delusional sense the, of security. The delusional <laughs> sense of security that they will have a state. Okay. Now, we put that in context 25 years ago. If we fast forward now 25 years, Jamal, it is exactly the same situation. Instead of a intifada on the ground, what we have is a political intifada with the BDS movement. And I believe, and you know, we've had this discussion, that the Trump-Kushner peace plan that's, you know, the deal of the century that's happening right now, and we're going to get to the details of what that is, is occurring at the same kind of political, in the same kind of political space where there is momentum for pal Palestinians who are nonviolently resisting the occupation through political means now through the BDS movement, which most Israelis have said is an existential threat to the Zionist dream, is the BDS movement, the boycott, divestment, sanctions movement. So here we see a BDS movement really on fire with tremendous successes, you know, that has basically woken up the whole world to uh, the the brutality of this you know the Israeli colonizing project and you know of, of Palestine and now the Israelis and the Americans have to say well we, we need a new version of Oslo and here we are this is the this is the perfect storm instead of instead of uh, Rabin and Clinton we have Trump Kushner Greenblatt and Netanyahu and that's uh, don't forget Bolton and Bolton. So we have this we have this group of five that are attempting to put the final nail in the coffin of any hope whatsoever. And and it's really we are at at the crossroad. Absolutely, uh, and crossroads where we're seeing what uh, Edward Said had predicted twenty five years ago. That's right. Everything is coming now into fruition. That's right. And and so now you've mentioned fast forwarding to the deal of the century. What what did happen? The things that they didn't put on the table, which was a discussion over uh, negotiations over Jerusalem. Trump moved the U.S. embassy to Jerusalem. So he's basically, ac this is according to Kushner's words, removing Jerusalem off the table. So it's easier to negotiate, he yeah, said. Yeah, so it's easier. <laughs> it makes it easier to negotiate. This is what Edward Said warned about. That's right. Then the issue of the refugees. Trump is, has defunded the UNRWA. This is the only agency or the largest uh, agency by the United Nations uh, taking care of uh, five and a half to six million refugees, not only in the West Bank and Gaza, but also in refugee camps in Lebanon and other places. And mandated. It's a mandated... So. That the United States signed on to. So, 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 so this is basically defunded. Defunded. Then he defunded the the money, the two hundred ten plus million dollars. This money, by the way, and again, reinforcing the fact that why the PA was created to just oversee security. The United States today, or as of this year. Uh, there were certain years when they they had given to the Palestinians 800 million to 1.2 billion dollars. The funding has dropped to 440 million plus per year. 
Half of that goes to the security. That's right. Goes to training the Palestinian security apparatus. That's right. This has not been touched up till today. It won't be touched. The other half, which is the $210 million to $220 million, goes to civil society. That's right. And NGOs. That's right. Trump defunded this. So that's he's right. basically destroying Palestinian identity because that's what civil society does. Is, identity, is, is empowerment and strengthening Palestinian identity and self-reliance. So he's killing all of this, but he's keeping the money flowing to security. Absolutely. Then, just piggybacking on Jerusalem to kind of remove any thought that the United States recognizes any Palestinian sovereignty over Jerusalem, as you all, as you know, just he defunded the Palestinian hospitals operating in. Jerusalem. That was an extraordinary, hateful, um, mean-spirited, um, and uh, hateful, amoral thing to do, to defund hospitals in Jerusalem, so specifically he, for Palestinians. So he's punishing cancer patients and terminally ill people and people— Pediatric cancer patients. So, so, but it also—it is mean-spirited, but also has a strong message because— these hospitals are located in Jerusalem. And last but not least, where everybody was hopeful about and all this hoopla about the in, an independent state that we would have seen coming into fruition after five after years. Five years. <laughs> now, 25 years later, the Palestinian flag cannot even fly over Washington, D.C., so he is shutting down the PLO mission in Washington, D.C. That's right. The State Department has uh, sent the letter or already. You have to be out by the end of the by, year. No, not by the end of the oh, year. Or the end of the month. 30 days. It's actually by November 9th or 10th. That's yeah. the last day unless they change their mind. So, ladies and gentlemen, what's left? I don't know if I've, if, if I've uh, missed something. No, but... But those, those are the five, basically, achievements and five... Uh, so here's the Kushner steps Trump. that uh, the Kushner Trump uh, plan. So here's yeah. the here's the Kushner Trump plan, Jamal. In a nutshell, you you described it beautifully. But what it's really saying to the Palestinians is, we are going to cut you at the knees. We're going to take away funding unless you agree to submit yourselves to a brutal occupation. They're saying to the Palestinians, Jamal, here's your choice: submit to an illegal, brutal occupation and be subjects of this brutal apartheid state. And if you don't do that, we're going to starve you to death. We're going to take away your funding. We're going to take away your hospitals. We're going to take away any attempt to be independent, and you are going to starve to death, literally, in some cases, if you talk about what's happening in Gaza, unless you agree to be apartheid subjects. That is the grand Kushner-Trump deal that is being played out right now right before our eyes. So the biggest fear is, is really what's going to happen next because now, and, and this is something we, we've talked uh, about often uh, and how people react to the, to the pressure exerted mostly by the Zionist lobby in the United States right. uh, and, and how they go after uh, politicians. You, you know, we know if you kind of give them an inch, they want a mile and if you succumb to them. And so basically, will the Palestinian Authority succumb to Donald Trump's pressure? Because, I mean, 
Will they collapse? Will they decide to walk away from the Oslo Agreement? Because I don't see all these different signs. I mean, we're talking about 25 years. You have limited options, really. That's let's, right. Let's, 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 let's basically enumerate these options. You can either, I mean, what Donald Trump is saying to Mahmoud Abbas, I want you to basically take a knee, kneel in front of me. This is what he's saying. Kiss my ring. And kiss my <laughs> ring. And these are the conditions. We are not going to create a Palestinian state. You're going to be the mayor of a Palestinian entity based in Ramallah. Basically, this is what, you know, there, there will not be an independent and sovereign Palestinian state. You'll be a mayor if you're lucky. You have to forget about Jerusalem. You have to forget have, about the right of return. You have to forget about the refugees and the right of return. You have to forget about Area C, which is the largest chunk of land to be negotiated. We'll give you Ramallah, we'll give you Nablus. And we have a different plan for Gaza, by the way. Gaza is now off the table. And, and we'll negotiate with Gaza. Gaza, Gaza will have an airport in Sinai, and Gaza will have a, a port in, in, Cyprus. in Cyprus. And maybe you'll have a, a confederation with Jordan, which is the craziest thing. We forgot to talk about this, a confederation without having a state. Even Jordan, King Abdullah, is, is like jumping. No, yeah, leave me out of it. Yeah, he doesn't, don't talk, he don't doesn't talk want in my more, name. He doesn't want more Palestinians. By the way, you're listening to Arab Talk on KPOO. 89.5 FM. We're broadcasting you live from San Francisco. You can listen to us uh, streaming on kpoo.com, and you can watch us live on Facebook Live at Jamal Dajani too. You know what, Jamal? That's exactly right. And um, are you a betting person? We, you and I have lots of bets. So here's the question to you. Abu Mazen's very – we know that he's having some health issues and, and things like that. How much longer he'll be able to uh, rule, we don't know. So the question for you is, will, uh, will Abu Mazen, Mahmoud Abbas, will he agree to kiss the ring of Jared Kushner and Donald Trump? Or will he have a little bit of dignity in this final stage of his life? What do you think? Well, I don't know. I mean, to tell you the truth – uh, we haven't seen an immediate reaction. In yeah, essence. we did. We saw a little bit. In, in essence, uh, in essence, they did not succumb. They didn't. They didn't succumb and say, yeah, yeah, we're going to accept the deal of the century. And this is very important. The question is how long can they hold up without funding? Because now, and the, by, by all means, the United States is not the biggest funder. I mean, the $210 million, and now we, they have another 220 left for security. But the EU, for example, is the largest funder today. Saudi Arabia is the largest. Some of the uh, Gulf, uh, yeah. Gulf. And the question is, how long will that last? And will the United States, will the EU follow suit? And the, the primary indications show us that some European countries, uh, by the way, they are filling a little bit of the gap uh, on the UNRWA issue. So, so Donald Trump has not been met with success. Meaning, internationally. Meaning internationally he was not able to rally, you know, he thought like, you know, he went to, uh, to the Gulf states, he squeezed uh, 400 billion plus dollars from the Saudis, but can he pressure them to stop funding the Palestinians? And, and can he stop the European Union, which he basically now burned his uh, cards with the, and bridges with the, Palest with, the right. with the European Union. That's right. So he's not a very liked person. He is trying to bulldoze his way into 
creating something, forcing them into submission, giving the green light to Israel to do whatever they want to do. And, 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 and my biggest fear is that they have no strategy they don't. to react. They're basically trying to wait it out. And this is not a very successful it, strategy with not, Donald Trump. It's not a vision. If you think you are going to wait it out, he's going to roll over you. That this is his style. Right. This is his style in business, and this is his style with the American people. Look, his own friends, he's willing to sell them out. He sold out, he sold down the river his own attorney, right? Right. And other friends. So do you think he is going to give anything to the Palestinians? No, you're right, Jamal. But I wanna I, I do wanna just I think it's important for our listeners to know. If we take it a step further, Donald Trump actually doesn't care about Palestine. Of course he doesn't. This is not about Donald Trump. He he can't, he doesn't understand Palestine. What this is really about, Jamal, is Kushner, Bolton, and Greenblatt. These three, together with AIPAC, are the ones that are coming up with this this plan for Palestine. And it's being green-lighted by Mitch McConnell, Paul Ryan, the Congress— and everybody else. This is Donald Trump doesn't give a, a you know what about Palestinians or Palestine. He, this is all because of Kushner, Greenblatt, Bolton, you know Netanyahu, and the Congress. They're the ones in APAC. This is it, Jamal. And that's why the political shift in this country is more important absolutely than the decision making on the ground in Palestine that's right because the PA basically has no options they have no cards to play they have no power to exert none none of whatsoever and and you if you've mentioned why there is now also an attempt to silence the voices of progressives in this country we know why why there are attempts to silence the voices of pro-Palestinian, uh, the, the pro-Palestinian voices on college campuses. That's right. And try to pass unconstitutional bills to basically penalize them. And because the only thing that is seen as an existential threat to Israel and Benjamin Netanyahu, it's not Iran. This no. is all he's making, basically, again, it's talking about smokes and mirror. It's not Syria. It's not the Arab world. It's not the Palestinian uh, Hamas. Uh, you know, they like to say to, to, to kind of f make people afraid, oh, Hamas, Hamas, Hezbollah. I mean, Israel it's has bogus. more than 200 nuclear weapons. It's the third or fourth strongest power in the entire world. It's really the BDS movement 100%. and the boycott. It, it's, it's the trend. It's the trend. Transnational, international effort and, and around BDS. Yes. Absolutely. And this is really That's why you're seeing also the pressure right here in this country and the pressure on the international arena. I forgot to mention something about actually the, uh, if you read the letter of the State Department about the closure of the PLO mission in, in Washington, D.C. No, I didn't. They've linked it like, oh, yeah, the PA is not interested in peace. They don't want to go back to the negotiations table. And then the last paragraph, they talk about the international, the ICC International Criminal, Criminal Court. Court. Right. And, and that's because there is a little bit of movement bringing Israel to the international. To account. Imagine. I mean, the International Criminal Court uh, was created by the United Nations. This is supposed to be the last 
resource for uh, afflicted parties to go to. It's a peaceful means. I mean, four years, all what we hear people talking about, if only Palestinians use useful means and go to the United Nations and file claims at the International Criminal Court, if they drop their weapons, then we will listen to them. So now they go to the International Criminal Court and they receive a threat. They're freaked out. By the United States, uh, United uh, States to shut down their embassy and and, 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 and and because they're doing this. That, so that, back to the... But back. just hold on, because you're making a very important point. This is why this week, Jamal, of all weeks, on the 25th anniversary week of Oslo, that the United States, not just Israel, wants to pull out of the ICC. Because John Bolton, and excuse me for saying this, John Bolton's wet dream for a decades now has been to destroy the United Nations and the ICC, 100%. He has wanted the United States to withdraw from the ICC because there are claims against U.S. service personnel and contractors for murdering Iraqis, you know. And and in Afghanistan. and, And Afghans. And those cases are working their way through the ICC. So Bolton, together with Netanyahu, want to, I mean, the Israelis have already withdrawn from the ICC or have, you know, are are negotiating that or attempting to do that in some way. Now the United States and Bolton want to do the same. They want to destroy any attempt to internationally hold themselves accountable by any measure. This is what Bolton has been working on forever. So going back to the successes. The successes, yeah, of the Kushner plan. And the fear and Israel's current existential threat as described, by the way, by Benjamin Netanyahu, yes. who early on laughed at BDS. The BDS, I know. And, and it's the successes. I mean, if, when, when you read in today, today and uh, in even the Hollywood Reporter. Jess, the Hollywood Reporter. The Hollywood Reporter. They are talking about the success of the BDS movement when Lena Del Rey, for example, revealed in mid-August that she was set to perform at the inaugural Meteor Festival in Israel. She pulled out. And then she pulled out. And now we're seeing every single week, basically... More people pulling more out. P- more people canceling their appearance. And people, not only like... Lena De- Del Rey was diplomatic... Uh, with her response. She said scheduling. Scheduling, or she I can play here and there. And of course, before that, uh, Lord, uh, she also changed her mind uh, from performing in, in Israel. And of course, we, we all know uh, about the um, uh, frontman, uh, lead, uh, lead uh, uh, guitarist for uh, Pink Floyd, Pink right. Floyd Roger, Roger Waters, Waters right. and he has been unequivocal in his support to the Palestinians and uh, outspoken about uh, the apartheid condition uh, that exists uh, in in Palestine. And now we're seeing, we're basically seeing a major, basically movement. That's right. Uh, basically. Kind of a little bit brings me back. It takes takes us. We're old enough to remember the eighties, the early eighties. You know, it's an overthrow to what happened. You know, with apartheid South Africa. Absolutely. Because the pressure 
started with the artist community first, yes. first yes. before the politicians jumped on the bandwagon. That's right. It was the artist community and it was resisted by Ronald Reagan. That's right. Ronald Reagan, who is basically from the Hollywood scene, right? He's, although he was a B actor, nevertheless, he comes from, he Hollywood. came from Hollywood. He was putting a lot of pressure, picking up the phone, calling directors and producers and, and, and agents. And threatening. And threatening them and put pressure on them. That didn't work. So now, if you see an article in The Hollywood Reporter, I can tell you a lot of these producers and directors who have been doing the bidding for Israel and be and and representing its Hasbara right here That's in right. California. They are now are very scared. They are very scared. And 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 because That's right. you know that this actually makes news most people don't read the Hollywood Reporter unless you are well, in the industry. Well, I read it. Yeah, you read it. But for me because I get Alerts from it, and I, I, oh my God, they're they're writing an article about this. That's right. And we're seeing every single day somebody else, somebody else. I think this is what's forcing absolutely Kushner and company. This is why they're freaking out to put all the pressure. Absolutely, Jamal. This this is the same political context that led Rabin Clinton uh, to to kind of force Oslo, the same political thing is happening now with BDS. And you can see why they're, but you can see why they're freaking out. But let me, don't you think it's a little ironic that a political movement is an existential, that, that Netanyahu and the Israelis and his surrogates and APEC consider a political nonviolent movement as an existential threat? That's pretty powerful. Not that many years ago, as you said, they were laughing at BDS. They were saying this is just a couple of hundred people who are just, you know, they'll be nothing. And now, despite pouring in hundreds of millions of dollars of anti-BDS propaganda, you know, social media, you know, the Hasbara, anti-BDS Hasbara army, they're losing, Jamal. They're losing because, again— you know, when we talk about why, it, why, and, and in my opinion, I think it, it works on multiple fronts, but to see now that the artists are leading the scene, actors, singers, you know, musicians, and so forth, it's very powerful because this parallels what, uh, what happened uh, during uh, apartheid South Africa. But what I'm saying at the same time, we're seeing now these... Uh, APAC and its surrogates in this country, and sadly, which many people don't know, and we I spoke we spoke we talked about this a little bit with the appointment of Kenneth Marcus. Imagine now that you have Kenneth Marcus, who has been a longtime Israel advocate. He now heads the Office of Civil Rights at Trump's Education Department. Unbelievable. And he's reopening a case that the Obama administration dismissed right. of alleged anti-Semitism on the part of Palestinian solidarity activists, activists at Rutgers, at yeah, Rutgers University Rutgers, in, right. in, in 2011. Right. So, so now they're, they're, they're going to all kinds of different tactics to silence because apparently all these behind the scenes pressure 
uh, didn't work, threatening artists, threatening directors. And especially, I think this also has to play with the scandals that Hollywood has been plagued with, with the Weinstein and company. Right. That they've lost their influence, all these Zionists who, Supporters, who, yeah. who have been supporting Israel. That some of, you know, uh, of course, this was a different topic because of his sexual ha- harassment and being a sexual predator. But it, in, in essence, it liberated many people to start kind of speaking. No, I think that's right. I think that's exactly and, right, Jamal. And supporting justice. No, and, I think that's right. And that's why this moment historically is so important right now, because we do have this moment of truth happening in the U.S. electorate. I mean, we know and have spoken about the demographic changes. But if in this midterm election, Jamal, there is the possibility of two Palestinians and a Somali-American, two Palestinian-Americans and a Somali-American actually running for Congress and winning, you have, uh, you know, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, who's very pro-Palestinian also, you see this progressive wave that could be taking over the Congress. And that's why when you see the progressive way and a prime example, uh, for example, uh, with the gubernatorial race in uh, Florida, in in New York, Cynthia Nixon, uh, the controversy, uh, here is someone who has been labeled as an anti-Semite. Because she's progressive. Because she's progressive. Yeah. And she's not pro-Israel. She did not not come out and say, I'm pro-Israel. No. She hasn't even come out and say, I'm pro-Palestinian. No. She's saying that I'm pro-justice for all. So if you're pro-justice for all, Jamal, you're an anti-Semite. Because that's essentially the tack that they're they're leveling against Jeremy Corbyn in the UK, against Cynthia Nixon, against the entire progressive community. That's going to be the next... Hasbara attack is that if you're for justice for all, then you must be an anti-Semite. Yeah. So now the new message, they've shifted the message. Yes. Uh, Iran is no longer the existential threat, even though from time to time they we cry hear about, about it. Iran. It's really the BDS movement. And in this country, if you defend BDS, if you defend uh, a campaign for Palestinian equal rights. You're an anti-Semite. Then they will label you as an anti-Semite. And if you speak out against uh, Jim Crow-like conditions, and it did, it won't help you if you are a progressive Jewish American. So if no. you're a member of Jewish Voice for Peace, it won't matter. They will also try to stop you from traveling into Palestine or into Israel, and the Israeli Shabak will intercept you at the uh, Ben Gurion Airport and deport you. That's right. Well. That's why, Jamal, this election in the midterm is really one of those historical moments that's going to be very telling because uh, they have invested all of their efforts in in the Kushner, Trump, Bolton, Greenblatt, Netanyahu kind of collective to make these final changes because there's a very good chance because we know how millennials think, Jamal, because millennials, Gen Xers— people who are progressive, 
believe in this thing called the indivisibility of justice. They believe that if you believe in justice for an African-American, then you believe in justice for Palestine. If you believe in justice for LGBTQ, you believe in justice for Palestinians. If you believe in justice for all, that has to include the Palestinians. And that message resonates with Gen Xers, millennials, Generation Z now, all of the new group that is uh, becoming politically motivated. And for that, Jamal, we have to thank Benjamin Netanyahu. We have to thank Jared Kushner. We have to thank Donald Trump, because it's really the three of them that are energizing people to wake up a little bit to this crazy apartheid practice that still exists in the world today. And uh, also, uh, all the the new polls oh, the new polls are, are backing every single word that you have said. <laughs> uh, you have the new polls from Pew and, and others. That's right. That, sh- that are showing you that you have a whole different generation, the, g- uh, the group that you talked about, gen- the generation between 18 and 26 are the most vocal about these issues. They are not, they are no longer influenced by watching Fox News. They don't even watch they Fox don't. News. They get their they information differently. They, 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 they get their information through uh, alternative media uh, on on the internet and through artists music musical artists different kinds of artists they get their information in very different ways and the Hasbara machine despite hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars Jamal is failing I mean it is failing and that's why I think we see this rush right now perhaps the pro-Zionist forces in Washington feel like they have what, a two-year window now, maximum? But we're really witnessing the possibility of a dramatic shift in Washington. That, as you say, and I agree completely, is the thing that Palestinians really have something to look forward to, that finally a Congress that believes, and hopefully a president someday, in this concept called the indivisibility of justice and truly justice for all. Well... Uh, you've been listening to Arab Talk Radio. Uh, this is KPOO 89.5 FM. You can follow us also online. Listen All to over us the place. on Facebook Live. We broadcast every Thursday from 2 to 3 p.m. If you miss us, check us out on SoundCloud. You can get all of our shows. Or go to our website, ArabTalkRadio.com. Exactly. And we have the archive of all of our shows, and we urge you also to support KPOO 89.5 FM in, in the Bay Area. Thank you for joining us today, and we will see you next week. <laughs>